Here is a fundamental flaw within the Bible that irrefutably proves that it does not contain the words of an infallible God but instead contains the wrong words of men. A profound flaw that proves Christianity is not of God. Although the experts say humans have occupied this planet for much more than 100,000 years, I will use this number of 100,000 years for this demonstration. That's all I will need to convey my point. For 100,000 years, human beings were being born and very often dying at birth or even killing their mother in the process. The life expectancy was not much more than 25 years old. These people were also dying of toothaches, infections, hunger, or microorganisms that they didn't know existed, or from natural events such as earthquakes or tsunami. These killed people in a war or a fight over property. These people were suffering and dying in great numbers daily for 100,000 years. According to the Christian faith, God intervened only 2,000 years ago when He sent down His Son Jesus to die for our sins. It means that heaven watched these millions of deaths with folded arms for 98,000 years, and then only 2,000 years ago decided it's time to intervene. And the best way of doing that would be a human sacrifice in the ancient Middle East? The news would take so long to spread that it still hasn't penetrated every part of the world. There are, in fact, still places in the world where Christianity has not spread. These places and their different practiced religions throughout the world include Zoroastrianism, Iran Confucianism, China Hinduism, India Taoism, China Jainism, India Judaism, Near East Al-Islam, Near East Buddhism, India Shinto, Japan, etc. Therefore, are these billions of people doomed to burn in hell for eternity because they were born in countries that did not practice Christianity? Such a thought is immoral. When you critically think and use common sense, the whole story doesn't make much sense. This profound flaw exists within Christianity because it is not true of God but created by flawed men. The Bible's stance on slavery also totally disqualifies IT from being the true words of God. The Bible's condoning stance on slavery, as made evident through many scriptures, also totally disqualifies it from truly being the words of God. Here are some passages from the Bible that support slavery in both the Old and the New Testaments. When using your common sense, these passages that claim that God condones slavery demonstrate that not written the Bible by men inspired by God is merely the flawed writings of flawed men. Ephesians 6 5 Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would show to Christ. 1 Timothy 6 1 All under the yoke of slavery should regard their masters as fully worthy of honoring God's name and not discredit the teaching. Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, work heartily. Here God shows that He completely accepts a slave's position and encourages slaves to work hard. This sentiment is repeated in Titus, chapter 2 verse 9. Bid slaves to be submissive to their masters and give satisfaction in every respect, they are not to be refractory, nor to steal, but to show entire and true fidelity. Once again, God shows that He is quite enamored of slavery. According to the Bible, God loves slavery. If God writes the Bible, and these are the words of the Lord, then you can come to only one possible conclusion, God is an impressive advocate of slavery and is fully supportive of the concept. As you can see, these slavery passages present us with an immense contradiction. On the one hand, we all know that slavery is an outrage and a moral abomination. As a result, slavery is now utterly illegal throughout the developed world. On the other hand, most Christians claim that the Bible came from God. In God's Word, the Creator of the universe states that slavery is perfectly acceptable. Beating your slaves is fine and enslaving children is good. 
Separating slave families is fine. The intensity of this contradiction is remarkable. It shows us quite clearly that Bible does not contain the actual words of God. If God played any role whatsoever in the writing of the Bible, He would eliminate any connection between Himself and slavery. Here is the thing that I would like to help you understand, you, as a rational human being, know that slavery is wrong. You know it. Does your common sense now tell you about a Bible that supports slavery in the Old and the New Testaments? Given the fact that the Bible condones slavery, your common sense should be telling you that it was written men, and are not the words of God. Stop following feeble-minded premises. Many black people are afraid to think for themselves, they're scared to look at facts, so they never have to admit that they might be wrong. Many see what they want to see, and believe what they want to think and fight vigorously to defend those beliefs no matter how ridiculously absurd they may be. Those who wake up do so because we have finally stopped agreeing to things that insult our intelligence. Usually, people have the right to believe whatever they choose to believe. However, there's an exception to this rule when it comes to the oppressed. When the beliefs held by the oppressed are falsehoods, those false beliefs must be exposed and eradicated. The oppressed must have a clear and accurate understanding of their plight and condition. Because the experiences of the oppressed are flawed, then all remedies that stem from those misunderstandings will also be inadequate. We must function based upon facts and reality to liberate ourselves. Let's, therefore, look at the facts, the more you learn to accept facts, the lesser you'll be controlled by lies. Black people, IT's time to wake up and learn the truth about Christianity. The early white Christians did not convert Africans into their faith to save their souls so that Africans may join them in heaven in the afterlife. It is irrefutable because they believed that Africans weren't humans, had no souls, and heaven was for whites only. The early white Christians thought that the thought of an African entering the kingdom of heaven was ridiculously as sinful as a dog entering heaven. It is a historical fact. When we logically look at the truth as they were, we can say with great certainty that the white enslavers' conversion of Africans into Christians had absolutely nothing to do with saving African souls. There was another self-serving reason why they put their time and energy into teaching Christianity to those they otherwise treated so brutally. The valid self-serving reason was to indoctrinate the belief of a white god into their subconscious minds. It created a profound admiration towards whiteness within the minds of the Africans that then subconsciously transferred towards white people. It made the Africans more compliant with white dominance over their lives. It made them into better slaves. The effects of that brainwashing scheme implemented hundreds of years ago have been left uncorrected and unremoved for generations. When we teach the same religion to our children that were brutally forced upon our ancestors to enslave them mentally, we also mentally enslave them. Many black Christians defend the Bible by claiming that black people wrote it and Christianity was the first practice in Africa. However, this is untrue. It is false when black people argue that modern Christianity was first practiced in Ethiopia long before Emperor Constantine created it in 325 AD. Christianity didn't become the official religion of Ethiopia until 341 AD. That was 16 years after the Romans built the wrong belief. The Jesus Messiah story is a myth created by the Roman Emperor Constantine and the Council of Bishops in 325 AD. AD does not mean after the death of Jesus, the Romans making of Jesus Messiah myth was an ingenious scam. Its ideology, that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you had to go through Jesus, gave the church immense power. It meant wanted to go to heaven had to do so through the church, given that the church controls the Jesus image and narratives. It told that they held and managed the key to heaven. That's the ultimate power on earth. Research the Nicene Creed and the creating of Jesus modern Christianity is not the belief system practiced in Africa before 325 AD. The Roman Emperor Constantine tore apart the doctrine of the original African spiritual system to create modern Christianity. 
the Romans destroyed 18 books of the original philosophy to create the modern Christian religion. Many African followers of the authentic and original spiritual system were totally against the newly formed Christian theology, the Romans killed some. The original spiritual system was not at all like modern Christianity. Its original doctrine didn't believe in the Trinity nor of the Messiah story. The original African spiritual system taught an African man born in a cave in Ethiopia of a traditional birth, not a Messiah born of an immaculate conception. Nicene Conference, into a Messiah, and his original birthplace, held in a cave in Ethiopia, was changed to Bethlehem. They merged his story with Egyptian folklores to create the Jesus-Messiah myth. Praying to God through a subordinate, middle man, Messiah was not within the original doctrine. Ask yourselves, why does the all-knowing God need a middle man to speak to him on your behalf? Doesn't he know you better than anyone else does? The African spiritual system taught every individual to seek their direct inner connection to the highest. Not through religion, a personal oneness established between the inner mind and what we now know as God. It is an experience that no two individuals may verbalize the same. Some may say that it speaks from above, some may say it comes from within. Some may also say that it comes through the mind, while others say through the heart. It doesn't matter because, in our accurate belief system, they are all correct. It is their oneness with the highest. The Christian religion has been one of the most effective tools used for imprisoning the minds of black people. Brainwashed millions of black people to believe that all of the wrongs whites have done to them throughout history have been washed clean by the blood of a fictional white Jesus. Forced black people to become Christians, and then its doctrine was used to compel them to forgive all the brutalities afflicted upon them by white Christians. However, white societies never actually apologized, paid reparations, nor even repented for their evil deeds committed against black people. They merely insisted that black people, as good Christians, forgive them as their Bible's doctrine dictates. They fooled us. Now we continue to fool ourselves. The more you learn to accept facts, the lesser you'll be controlled by lies. There is no evidence of the existence of Hebrews in Africa's ancient Egypt. According to Exodus 12:40, the Israelites lived in Egypt for 430 years. The Bible mentions Egypt about 700 times, yet there is no mention of the Israelites in any Egyptian history, nor archaeological evidence outside the Hebrew scriptures that records the vacation of the Israelites in Egypt. There is no evidence of a leader named Moses and no synagogue. There is no mention of Jews or ten plagues in this extensive history of Egypt. We have no clue, not even a single word, about the early Israelites in Egypt, neither in monumental inscriptions on the walls of temples, tomb inscriptions, or papyri. Israel is absent as a possible foe of Egypt, a friend, or an enslaved nation. The story of the Israelites in Egypt was true. There would have been some evidence of this account having assimilated into the Egyptian culture. Because they left such a rich legacy, the Egyptians are more familiar to us than perhaps any other ancient civilization. However, they've left us no evidence of Israelites ever being in Egypt. Most important, the Egyptian records themselves have no mention of anything recorded in Exodus. Egyptians wrote extensively in their distinctive hieroglyphs and practiced detailed art depicting many Egyptian life scenes, yet none defines any of the ten plagues. Although the walls of the pyramids were left with thousands of writings upon them documenting the long history of ancient Egypt, the enslavement not written of a Jewish people even once? Nor was the name of Moses ever written. Nor was the story about the Red Sea parting even mentioned. The Red Sea parted to allow the Jews to walk through it and then rejoin to drown a pharaoh and his army. Document of the event upon the walls of Egypt. The story not reported is fabricated. Furthermore, the narrative of a chosen people itself is evidence of human vanity. 
For just as wise parents know to never openly announce one of their children as a favorite above all their others, an intelligent and all-knowing God would undoubtedly know never to call a people his chosen above all the others. The narrative of a chosen people then were enslaved in Africa's ancient Egypt is a falsehood created by Europeans. Those black people that attempt to connect themselves to a fictional Bible written by Europeans make fools of themselves. Furthermore, says Amihai Mazar, professor at the Institute of Archaeology and the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. No Jews built the pyramids because Jews didn't exist at the period when the building of the pyramids. Until over 600 years after the last of the giant pyramids built that Israel came into existence, more than 2,000 decades after completing the Great Pyramid. It is irrefutable because the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx are also thousands of years older than the biblical timeline of when Shem, the supposed father of the Jews, had lived. According to biblical scholars, Shem survived the flood 4,300 years ago. However, according to several experts, the Great Pyramid of Giza is around 12,000 years old. The leading experts find the Sphinx is several times much older than the Great Pyramid. Since they're both many thousands of years older than Shem, the father of the Jews, it's therefore impossible that any Jew was involved in the building of the Sphinx and Great Pyramid. Furthermore, the city of Egypt is even older than when Adam and Eve were supposed to have lived. According to biblical experts that use detailed family trees in the Bible to make their calculations, Adam and Eve lived about 6,000 to 8,000 years ago. If Shem, the father of the Jews and the Great Sphinx, was built long before even his great-grandparents Adam and Eve were born, Jews made the Great Sphinx impossible. The story that Jews were enslaved in Egypt and built the pyramids and the Great Sphinx are lies that the false white Khazars Jews created to insert themselves into the history of Africa's Egypt. We also know that the Bible is untrue because, according to it, the first man and woman were Adam and Eve that, according to biblical experts, lived about 6,000 to 8,000 years ago. The problem with these calculated numbers is that science has confirmed time and time again that Africans are much older than that date. In South Africa scientists unearthed ancient bones belonging to at least 15 individuals. These estimated bodies are between 20,000 and 2 million years old. There were also the remains called Lucy found in Ethiopia estimated at over 3 million years old. These findings of African bodies that are much older than the fictional biblical ham timeline of 4,300 years prove that Adam and Eve's story is untrue. The Myth of the Jewish Slave So, from where did the myth of the pyramid-building Jewish slaves come? Herodotus of Greece, the father of history or the father of lies, inadvertently facilitated the tale in 450 BCE. During his time, creating a good story was more important than adhering to the facts. But the historian took his responsibility seriously, being one of the first to document his work meticulously. He believed that about 100,000 workers constructed a single pyramid in 30 years, nowhere did he specify Jews or slaves. And the origin of the idea of Jews building the pyramids remains a mystery. Egyptian paid laborers built elaborate pyramids. Estimated that about 10,000 to 30,000, rather than 100,000, paid workers were responsible for building a single pyramid in ancient Egypt. Local Egyptians from low-income families worked on the tombs out of loyalty to the pharaohs, said Dieter Wildung, a former director of Berlin's Egyptian Museum. They were respected and earned the right to be buried near their pharaohs. In the 1990s, tourists found graves laborers who came across what appeared to be a wall but was a tomb. Workers built their tombs with leftover supplies. Hieroglyphics on the inside walls of the tomb indicated bread makers and beer makers among the pyramid laborers, and their bodies were preserved perfectly by dry sand. Egypt's archaeology chief Zahi Hawass concluded, no way would they have been buried so honorably if they were slaves. The Treatment of Pyramid Workers The workers were well-fed, 
laborers working on the pyramids ate 21 cattle and 23 sheep sent to them daily from farms. They also worked in three-month shifts. There is evidence of brain surgery on a worker who lived at least two more years. And some lived to old age. Nevertheless, their skeletons have signs of arthritis, and their lower vertebrae point to a life passed in difficulty. But the most undeniable evidence that Egypt built pyramids by paid workers and not slaves is the pyramids themselves. Due to a shrinking budget, pyramids gradually got smaller over time. In other words, money paid to pyramid laborers to construct elaborate tombs helped destroy ancient Egypt's economy. Today the world recognizes the novelty and intricacy of Egypt's pyramids, the Great Pyramid of Giza is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and the United States $1 bill includes an Egypt-inspired pyramid. It only fits that those who built such masterpieces be given credit after so many centuries of obscurity. The mental enslavement of black people is proof that millions now walk around with computers in their pockets, with access to unlimited information yet insist on believing the biblical lies brutally forced upon their enslaved ancestors. Many black people are afraid to think for themselves, they're scared to look at facts, so they never have to admit that they might be wrong. Many see what they want to see, and believe what they want to think and fight vigorously to defend those beliefs no matter how ridiculously absurd they may be. We must gain a clear, concise, and most importantly, a genuine understanding of our plight and condition to liberate ourselves. The truth about our plight and condition. After World War LL, 12 years Jewish Holocaust came to an end, and the United States and the United Nations contributed massive financial support to rebuild the lives of the European Khazar Jews, there was no moral obligation to do the same for African people. The African Holocaust lasted hundreds of years, millions of more deaths, America, Great Britain and the many other white nations that participated in the Black Holocaust felt no moral obligation to invest millions of dollars in restoring the culture and lives of African people. Fearing eventual Black retribution, especially given that their exploitation of Africa continues indefinitely, they instead invested millions into the social engineering of black minds to think in ways that serve and protect the interests of white societies. Program the minds of black people daily to think in ways that serves white societies through media subliminal programming. The white media's unrelenting negative depictions of black people which amplifies the negative to the point that it distorts reality is much more than just biased media reporting. It is a covert, insidious divide-and-conquer psychological warfare tactic. Divide-and-conquer is the method of maintaining control over one's subordinates or subjects by encouraging dissent between them. It is a well-proven tactic that has been used for centuries by oppressors to control their oppressed population. Dividing the oppressed makes them much easier to manage and more compliant with their oppressors' dominance over their lives. Black people are unknowing targets of the most elaborate deployed demoralizing divide-and-psychological warfare campaign in history. This deplored system is like a massive media marketing campaign that constantly subjects black people to seeing only the fraudulent worst within themselves. Its weapon is the message that it carries. It conveys the subliminal message that black people are their own worst enemy and, therefore, need whites to govern their lives. Moreover, that black people should admire, respect, and trust only whites. This system is deceitful towards blacks. Black positive racially affirming information not being challenged or counterbalanced by an equal amount of black positive racially documenting information. A highly effective system is challenging. Basic programming has presented these noted narratives from trusted white media sources, especially when the propaganda daily demoralizing the black population with racial propaganda. With time, being unable to refute the constant negative information about themselves, many black people eventually accept them. They unconsciously influence how many within the black population perceives themselves, creating division and self-hatred among themselves. 
It also turns the collective aggressions of black people away from the white society and turns them inward towards themselves. This designed warfare tactic makes black people more compliant with white dominance over our lives, however, it works so well that it makes black people more compliant with white supremacy. It makes many even prefer it. This system is at the root of the self-hatred now affecting many black people and false feelings of superiority held by many whites. The oppressed will always believe the, fraudulent, worse about themselves. Franz Fanon. Media social engineering is not a conspiracy theory. It's a real covert, very well-crafted control system that allows the white ruling class to control the masses and targeted populations. Through the skillful sustained use of repetitive media propaganda, white oppressive forces have created a prison for the minds of millions of black people. This disclosure is consistent with what history has taught us. Throughout Western history, those empires that brutally mistreated their oppressed population, fearing eventual retribution from the oppressed, have continually developed methods for controlling their minds. Because while oppressors, through their military strength, can conquer and enslave a people, they cannot win their loyalty or sustain peace with them for long unless systems are put in place to keep the oppressed loyal or suppressed dissent among them. Whenever people persecute for long periods, their collective aggressions against the oppressive society will continue to grow until rebellion becomes inevitable. When left to their vices, the oppressed will always eventually rebel. It is an inherent part of the human condition when people live under oppression. The only way to prevent these impending acts of rebellion is by shifting the collective aggressions of the oppressed away from the oppressive society and redirected inward against themselves. To the detriment of we black people, this is the situation we now endure living under white dominance. This programming of black minds first begins during our early educational development within white governed schools, when our minds are young and most impressionable. Miseducation of black students. The white educational system's failure to adequately provide black students with a racially affirming curriculum for white students is a societal social engineering programming that is essential for maintaining white dominance. Because for a ruling class to keep its position of social power over its oppressed population, they must condition the oppressed from a very early age to accept their subordinate status and adhere to the authority of the dominant society. To do so, the education given to the oppressed, from the time that their minds are young and most impressionable, must be the type that denies them a racially and culturally affirming curriculum. When denial of the oppressed a fully racially and culturally affirming education, this psychology conditions them to accept their subordinate status and adhere to their oppressor's dominance over their lives. Even the brightest among them may have little, if any, the hope of mentally extracting themselves from their assigned low, dominated position in life. They have done to black students the immoral precisely practice. White governed schools do not provide a racially affirming curriculum to black students as it does so for white students. They instead intentionally give black students a marginalized version of their history. It's a marginalized version designed to instill the myth of white superiority into your subconscious minds. It is a classroom setting wherein most of the achievements and contributions made by black people are systematically withheld throughout history their educational development. They taught the black students from curriculums that primarily exalts whites' history and achievements while marginalizing their own. For many black people, their schools are, in fact, the places where they first experience the implications that there is something lesser about being black. This black racially devaluing educational curriculum pumped into the young minds of generations of black students without being counterbalanced by an equal amount of positive black racially affirming information. Black students are subjected to this demoralized education for 7 hours a day from 5 through 18, damage to the self-esteem of many black students within such a significant time frame. Consequently, black students must constantly resist the negative perceptions of being black implicit in an educational curriculum almost exclusively dedicated to white ideologies, achievements, 
Contributions, and History.